Hello, this is Todd. This is Kathy. And this is Conversations with People We Love, brought to you by BU Incorporated. On this show, we talk with authors and we talk with teachers, we talk with friends and anybody that has a story to share that can help us open our heart and be more aware of who we are. Hope you enjoy the show. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is a conversations with people we love, and we have a wonderful guest. His, he's a doctor. His name is Darius Lagmani. Is that right? That's exactly right. <laughs> okay. And um, he is, I pulled up his bio. So he is a professor in pediatrics, pulmonary medicine, and neurology at Lurie's Children's Hospital. Is that Correct. You know what, Todd? It's Lori Children's Hospital. And the only reason I'm correcting you is I've been writing Lori's Children's Hospital. What did I say? You, well, you just said that. Oh. It's actually Lori Children's Hospital. Oh, you're not supposed to do the Lori's. Yeah, because Lori. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, they act, we are actually, uh, it, It's we're told that we should say the Ann and Robert H. Lori Children's Hospital of Chicago. Wow, that's a mouthful. And we say that every time we answer the phone. <laughs> Well, and this is all of a sudden we're already off, off That's topic. That's okay. So we do. But who, who, whoever um, Anne and Robert Lurie are, they gave a ton of money. They did. To an, yes. ama- in an amazing thing. But, you know, I liked it when it was called Children's Memorial. It's just easier. Yeah. It was easier. Well, we were used to it, right? Yeah. You know, CMH. Yeah. It was, was you just... know what? If I gave that much money, maybe I'd want it to be Todd Adams Children's <laughs> Hospital. I don't know. Of Chicago. Of Chicago. To be Zen Parenting Hospital. That's right. <laughs> you never know. So um, I was just talking to Kathy and we, you know, Zen Parenting Radio, we try to be resourceful. We try to give resources to our listeners. And we've never, we talk about conscious parenting. We talk about you know, discipline or how not to discipline, but we've never really talked about sleep. So this is really an opportunity that um, I thought was pretty cool that came mm-hmm. around. Um, but there really is no structure to this conversation. We're just going to throw a bunch of questions your way. Oh, brilliant. And yeah. you being the expert you are, are going to have to give us the best answer possible. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's, I think that's great. Um, so I, I feel like we should, because um, I think that parents that are hypersensitive to sleep are parents of infants. So I think that that's a good place for us to start. In do you mean start by talking about what's best for infants? How sleep? to do it? I mean, you and I, Kathy, were confused, and we read some books, and the books contradicted each other, oh, yes. and yes. and all that. Yes. So, um, so infants, yeah. So, what do you think, doctor? <laughs> well, infants sleep, yeah, and that may be a little ambiguous. And if it is, we'll we'll try to guide you a little bit more. But what do you think about infants sleeping? Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. It's nice and broad. <laughs> I um, know. So, I mean, the first thing I think I should point out, like, so um, anyone who says they're expert in sleep medicine and uh, doesn't know anything about sleep medicine, and you shouldn't listen to that person. Okay, mm, love it. And so, really, what it comes to is like, like sleep is just like any other kind of behavioral, like, um, a behavior, or even just like this idea of like it. It, it has a lot to do with who you are, mm. you know. And so, like, even as an infant. Like these kids are born and like parents have to get to know this child, you know, they've never met them before. So it's this idea of like, um, you can approach it from like, we know what needs to happen to this child and then we do it to them and then they are are produced into whatever it is that that we want them to become. Or you could think about them as a unique individual that has certain capacities that really you need to create a space where those capacities can be developed. And so even from like, from the very beginning, you can often, you can often get a sense of, of, uh, of, of stress, you know, like so parents, parents 
are like, that's often the first question they're asked, you know, the baby's born and they're like, oh, how's he sleeping? Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do you mean, how's he sleeping? Nobody asks, how's he walking? Right. How's right. he talking? Right. You know, right. Like, and so why, like, why do we go right to that? Because I mean, the, the, uh, the challenge is really how do we, how do we encourage parents and help them like on this process of getting to know their child? And so sleep is just one of the first things that they're going to think one of the first excuse me, capacities that they're going to try and develop with their child. Yeah. And that's, it's, uh, I, I, there's so many places I want to go with this, but again, that so speaks to what we like to talk about in the show is that it's individual. And I can even say from my experience as a new mom, my kids are now 11, uh, 10 and seven, but we're really kind of handed uh, a rule book, whatever book is popular at the time for us, it was the mm-hmm. Weisbluth book, um, yeah. which I'm sure you've heard about a lot because sure, that's yeah. a that's a Chicago guy too, right? He's yeah. the children's, and it, that it was like this is the pattern and you need to follow it. And mm-hmm. I don't know what you would say, Todd, but when one of my daughters would not follow what was recommended, I thought something was off with my kid. Yeah, and I'm sure that's what most people come to you and say is my kid isn't following this routine that they're quote unquote supposed to follow. Right, and yeah, that's that does. I mean, what, what's happening is we've kind of medicalized sleep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right. like people talk about that in terms of pregnancy as well, that we've pregnancy, we've uh, medicalized like the birthy process. And mm-hmm. so keep taking something that's natural and, and that you have instincts for and capacities for, and we've taken it out of our own hands and put it into the hands of, of people that we consider experts. And mm-hmm. so I think that idea of like, how do we actually empower people to kind of like think about it and just give them the questions. So, I mean, it, especially with infants, even just to clarify people's thinking and to say, you know, like there's going to be a lot of things that are changing here. The first six weeks are going to be very difficult. They're going to be challenging. They don't have to be miserable. Right. But they're going to be challenging. So how do you actually, I mean, it becomes a lot more about who's encouraging these people, mm-hmm. yeah. these, these new parents that are like facing this new, this new challenge. Um, and so how are, how are they getting encouraged and being like, being given just just kind of support as they're as they're learning about this child. Well, and our um, we follow Weisbluth pretty closely. Mm-hmm. And when Darius, when you and I first spoke when we had coffee that morning, I would Kathy, you might disagree. We were kind of sleep Nazi ish, and what I mean by that <laughs> is, uh, we'd be at my mom's house. And it'd be time for our infant to take a nap. And most of the time, we got the heck out of there, and it was important for us for our kids whenever possible to sleep in their bed in a calm environment and blah, 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 blah. And my mom would, you know, I know when I was an infant, they would just throw us wherever we were (laughs) and let us sleep. (laughs) But I feel like you kind of disagreed with our philosophy a little bit. Is that, is that fair or is that unfair? I think just as like a policy. Yeah. Like to say that this is what has to happen. Yeah. I would disagree with that. Okay. But every family like finds their own pattern. Every family is going to think about, all right, so what is it that, uh, like, who is this child? Who are we? Like, how do we want to live? What are our priorities? And then you live according to that. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I so the thing that's coming into my head about this is, as you said, that Todd, it brought up some feelings in me. And a lot of times the structure that we put around our child and we say it's for our child is actually for us. Sure, sure. And so if we could, that's a self-awareness piece is if we recognize that I'm it's time for them to take a nap and they need space because I need space sure, right. instead of a lot of people. But we would use the kid as the excuse to get out. <laughs> of We would. Oh, my gosh. 
I take full ownership of being like, okay, this is when they must sleep. Like I said, I followed the Weisbluth mm-hmm. book, sure. you know, and I or we did the Baby Whisperer. Was Weisbluth the Eat Activity Sleep? No, that plan? was the Baby Whisperer book. Okay, and just for our audience, what is Eat Activity Sleep? What does that mean? That was Eat Activity Sleep. Yeah, they, means eat, they eat, they play, you, and then they sleep. You put them on the floor, let them roll around, or yeah. whatever it is, and then you put structure. them down. Right, structure, structure, and and again. It, for a new mom who feels completely lost, books can be a, a godsend. But when they become the ultimate go-to where you don't trust your instincts right. anymore, right. that's where they become a problem. Yeah, and so often, like, a really approach that we take in the office is we try and create a reflective space mm-hmm. where we're just kind of, what are the questions that this, that this, this family is struggling with? Like, what are, the, uh, what are their expectations? How do we kind of learn about, about those? Because... Um, like parents have to take care of themselves too. Yeah. And so if you're going to actually like, if it makes sense for you to, for your child to have a sleep pattern, mm-hmm. a, a specific sleep pattern, then you have to, then we have to figure out how to help you do that. Exactly. So, that, so it's not just about the child. Cause I mean, again, if you can step back from this kind of medical problem, like approach where like the child isn't doing what the book says, so there's something wrong with the child, which oftentimes is really that uh, there's something wrong with me. Like as a, yes. as a parent, like yes. I'm doing something wrong. That's why he's not doing it. So that's what we want to shy away from. So we see a lot of parents that come in that say, there's got to be something wrong with him. And it's almost hopeful because yes. it gives them an ex- explanation of why this book that works for everybody else has worked for me. So it's got to be, it's either the kid or it's me. So um, give me, uh, I know you see all different sorts of patients, all different ages, but can you give me just an insight on what you see the most of? Um, what are some, yeah, what are some of the question. issues that you, that you see or, or are most interested in or, or whatever? Well, so there's um, the kind of broad categories of, of sleep. Um, it's hard to kind of tease it apart because like every field has claimed to some aspect of sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's psychiatry, there's psychology, there's um, internal medicine, p- pediatrics, family medicine, ear, nose, and throat surgeons. Like anyone can sit for the sleep boards and become a sleep doctor. It's a, it's a one-year fellowship, one year of training. Interesting. And you can take care of anyone, any age. So which one are you? So I, I did my training in internal medicine and pediatrics. Okay. And then I did a sleep fellowship in a psychology-based program Got at Rush University. And what drew you to being to doing the sleep piece? So sleep really kind of happened accidentally. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was where um, you know, someone gave a lecture where just as kind of a side comment, they talked about like the use of coffee and the effective use of coffee. And that was something that uh, like said, if I could tell my patients about this, like I could significantly improve their lives. <laughs> and so this mm-hmm. was like, this piece of information was, was really valuable. I mentioned it to the speaker and they said, well, you should do a sleep, a sleep rotation. And I did a rotation through the sleep program. And I recognized that like, if you can improve somebody's sleep, you impact every aspect of their life. Wow. And if there's something we take, like it's, it's a third to, uh, you know, for children, it's a third to a half of their, of their lives are spent in sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so if they have a sleep problem or some issue with sleep, then it affects their, their whole life. So this, it seemed like a point of intervention where you can actually really, really uh, you have a significant impact on, on somebody's life. Yeah. Like if you can focus your energy on one aspect, then they, then it ripples down through every other piece. Yeah. And so a lot of times, especially, um, you know, in psychology, I, I'm a clinical social worker. We're trying to like pull in all of these pieces and all this information and try, and sometimes that's more difficult, yeah, you sure. know, and if you can just focus in on one thing that, and see how that ripples out, um, that's amazing. And well, go ahead. Tatu. How often yeah. are sleep and behavior correlated? I mean, it's very, they're very closely related. I mean, the way, like you, all of us know, like if you had a bad night of sleep, you're going to be a little rougher the next day. Right. So, um, 
kids are exactly the same way. Is it more intense with kids or not necessarily? Adults are, can, can be just as sensitive after a bad night's sleep as a child. I think it, it shows up differently. Like for us, like we know we're sleepy. We know why we're sleepy. And so like if you can get a nap, you'll get one. And so and we tend to kind of nod off. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For kids, they go the opposite way. They really hate that. Yeah. And so they, they, uh, they do whatever they can to stop from nodding off. So jump around the room they'll move from one one subject to one yeah. subject to the next and become more impulsive and- well and we always say on the show put your kids in a position to succeed so when your kids melting down at target at 11 in the morning and you know that the kid had no sleep maybe it's not the best time to go to target and <laughs> and do that and but we are as parents we're just on our own schedule and we have no empathy towards and and you know and maybe it goes too far the other way too maybe parents are too empathetic to the sleep needs of their child it's just you know we love this kid and especially new moms and dads they just show up and they don't have a freaking clue what's going on right, right. so it's just that question of how are we actually uh how are we, again just kind of empowering parents to think about what's happening and like how is it that the like how how did how is the child sleeping? What are basic questions that we would think about that would help us know if the, if the child's sleeping well or not? You know, it's interesting. I have all these thoughts going through my head, but I we've had a lot of shows where we talk about things like homework with children and the importance of homework and, and how, as adults, we almost make doing homework or learning kind of a punishment. Like, you know, I'm going to make you work harder. You're going to have to do more homework. And in a way, we've done that with sleep. Like, where going to bed is like, a bad thing, you know, like you're going to go to bed early or I'm going to make you go to bed early or you're going to go to your room and go to bed early. And we've put this negative spin on it. So kids, because Todd always says when I was a kid, I never wanted to go to bed. Oh, no, absolutely. It was, I was surrendering. I was losing. You were losing. You're losing. And like what you lose, like the punishment is you're separated from the people that you love. Totally. Oh, thank you for saying that. that, The people that love you and they they support you, they're your source of of nourishment Mm -hmm. and warmth, like everything. And it's like, it's bedtime. And you're like, wait, but... I'm not done yet. Right. Yeah. One more time. You know, and so it's interesting the way that we think about it is we think about these as kind of acting out behaviors, you know, the patient, like the patient or the child, mm-hmm. the child to come out of the room and will say, you know, I want one, one more, one more glass of water, one more hug, one more kiss. And we're just like, you annoying little kid. <laughs> right. And so like you get these books, like, you know, you see in this book, like what, the, what does it say? What's um. It's uh, go the go the after sleep. Yeah, go right? the after. I was just looking at it upstairs. It's the, that's this a book. Go the after sleep. Yeah. It was online for a while, and then it got made into a paper book, and it's a number two bestseller still. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's because it's because parents get so frustrated they because they're trying. Like, imagine like you, we all know we can't control our own sleep, right? There's no button that you push and then you fall asleep, right? And so we we know that we're out of control of our, of our own sleep. I mean, how much more so that we're out of control of our child's sleep? Mm-hmm. Oh. So this ends up becoming like a major point of control. And so the child, the child really just wants love yeah. and, and reassurance and to know that everything's okay. And the parent just really wants the kid to go to sleep because they know that medically it's important. It's important for the neuroeconomy of development. It's important for also them to have some time. Where they That's don't what I was going to say. <laughs> exactly. For me, again, taking ownership of this, I know that I'm pretty much on all day when the kids are around or, you know, I'm working and then I'm on with them. And then there comes a time where there's the magic clock where it's 8 or 830. Right. And I'm like, okay. 
Now it's time to go to bed. And and it's not like you and I are going to always sit and watch movies or anything. It's just having being done. Yeah. And when they continue to come out and come out and come out, you know, I know that so many parents can relate to this. And then this is the other piece. This is my therapist piece is then we start to get really deep into they're not listening to me. They're offending me. And so then it starts to become a power struggle in that way. And then we're losing the whole intention of putting them to bed in a kind and loving way. Yeah. Yeah, so the, I mean, the question is, how do we actually help? Re, like, we have to create a new context, like a new a new rhythm. And so, I mean, even like the bedtime routines, like the more regular they are, the more like that that they're recognizable to the child. They become sleep cues. So mm-hmm. there's some routines where like a child would be sleepy while they're doing it because they know that it leads to sleep. Yeah, but if it ends with separation from from this their their parent. Some kids, like the beginning of the routine, they start freaking out because mm. they know that it leads to an end where they're actually far away from their parents. But it's got to end sometime. It does. So what do you do? And so it's interesting. On some, in, in some approaches, there's a focus on the child has to be alone, drowsy, in their, in, wherever it is that they're going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then the parent has to leave them there so that they fall asleep on their own. And so there's this kind of emphasis on kind of removing the parent from yeah. the sleep process. And it seems like you could actually go the other way. You know, the more you, the more attention that they get at the end of the sleep, the the, the sleep routine, the more they like. Even in their in their bed in, in their bed, you give them more attention for being in their bed. Yes. And then, like, oh. I guess the next big step to that, you don't say, "Okay, now go to sleep," mm-hmm. because it's impossible. Yeah, right? you can't, you're asking them to do the impossible. It's it's not within their power. Yeah. And so you tell them, go to like if you tell them go to sleep. Now they know that this thing that's going to make you happy, is something that they can't do. And that they're going to be left like alone. alone. So instead of saying go to sleep, what do you say? Just rest here. Just rest. Yeah. Just lie here, relax. I'm going to be back in a second. And you give them like literally. Sometimes it'll be you just stand up. Yeah. And then you sit back down and be like, I'm really impressed. Mm-hmm. Lying in your bed, relaxed, hanging out, great. You're getting stuff big. Positive reinforcement. And you're reinforcing something like the key to positive reinforcement. There's two main things. One is it has to be something that they control, right? So yeah. you, like we get all these all these things where like. I told him if he wakes up and he spent the whole night in his bed, I'm going to buy him a car. Mm-hmm. You know, nice. It's like it's actually going to work against you yeah. because the child, is, the child isn't in control of it. And if you've ever been reinforced with something that you don't control, mm-hmm. like you, you know the anxiety that comes with that. Right. Absolutely. You have no idea how you're going to replicate it. And so you're actually more, more anxious. Yeah. So we don't talk about sleep. You don't reinforce sleep. You reinforce, like, you reinforce resting. Like That's something they totally control. Like, I'm just going to lie here. And so like you say, okay, so that's, that's one piece of positive reinforcement. The other thing is the reinforcement has to come very close to the action, the action that you're trying to reinforce. And so if you're saying, okay, go to, go to sleep here, and then you try and reinforce it in the morning, it's really too far away to really be even associated in the child's mind. Yeah, it's not connected. It's not natural. So for the example you gave is I want to see you rest. You stand up, and they rest for anywhere between five seconds and two minutes, and then you come back and reinforce that yeah. behavior. And you want to come back, and, and you know why I recommend this? And people, they say, like, but when I, when I come back, they're already asleep. Yeah. And so you say you got to go shorter, or you got to start the bedtime earlier, because they have to be awake. Because what we're really doing, oh, wow. we're trying to help them learn yeah. that their bed is a space where their parent comes often. Yeah. And randomly. Yeah. You know, and so, like, they, like they could be, so then they know, like, at any moment, mom could walk through that door, mm-hmm. and dad could walk through that door. Oh. I love I, that so much. And I know where they are, and I know like if you if they come out, you don't make a big deal about yeah. it. Like, I'm so frustrated. Just be like, "What's happening? Let's go. Let's go back. Let's sit down." And then you just 
the whole idea is just helping them decelerate. So yeah. really that becomes because that becomes something that you can that parents themselves can generate learning about. Mm -hmm. What is it that I'm doing with my child that helps them relax during the day? How can I incorporate some of that into the bedtime routine? Hmm. It's real and it's funny. Do you know what I'm you know what I'm thinking of, Todd? Because this is something Todd makes fun of me about all the time. <laughs> my mom used to say to me when I was little, just rest your eyes. Don't don't worry about falling asleep. Just lay there and rest your eyes. No pressure, just yeah. relax. So I say that to the girls all the time, yeah. and he has made fun of me since day one. <laughs> He's like, "What does rest your eyes mean?" Well, I I now say that to Cameron because it's funny. We got three kids, but our middle daughter, she's a night owl. Like yeah. it doesn't matter what's going on. That kid is going to be up till ten thirty nice. almost every night. And she's sure. reading, and yeah. she's like, "That is she's her reading like, in the dark." Time. And yes. this is probably bad. I'm like. First of all, you can't have the lights on when it's time to go to sleep, but you can't read in the dark. So, like, right. I'm basically right. painting her into a corner like, that she cannot get out of. Totally. You're like, Cameron, don't do anything. Don't do anything and go to sleep. <laughs> now. Now. But that idea of just giving giving space and just saying even, you know, because the other thing that we get we get in our minds is we have to do something tonight. Yeah. And tonight's the make or break night. And if what we do tonight doesn't work, we're going to the sleep doctor. And we're going to wait however long and do whatever horrible testing. Totally. Because sleep studies, are not, they're not easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're not actually not indicated for kids who have just trouble falling asleep. But the, like, so we have this idea, this pressure to make something happen right away. There's like this interventionist attitude that we've developed. So this idea of like, there's one, one mom was telling me, she brought her child in for a completely different sleep disorder. I said, like, is he fall asleep okay? She's like, oh, that's not a problem. Like I said, how, how'd you do that? You know, because I'm this is something I'm actually right. really interested because in, parents always ask me how to help your kids. And so I just tell them what other parents told me. Right. So, yeah. so, okay, so how'd you do that? She said, well, you know, he got to be about five years old and he said, I don't want to go to sleep. And I said, when are you going to, when do you want to go to sleep? He said, never. <laughs> and so she said, okay. And so that night she sat up with him yeah. all night. And every time he started to doze off, she elbow him to get up. <laughs> get up. You're not going to sleep tonight. You're not oh sleeping God. ever. The next night, bedtime started. He was zipped. <laughs> One night. That's bed. all it took. Zipped in the bed. You just, I mean, he like, he, now there's a correlation. Now there's understanding is, of what happens as you get Is there oh any gosh. pain that's worse when you're trying to fall asleep? When someone's trying it's, to wake you up. can't. <laughs> that's right. That's like the, uh, that's like, it's worse than getting stuck in the needle with an eye. That's right. Stuck in the eye with a needle. <laughs> no, it's bad. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like being in a class. Yeah, when I would take night classes, six to nine, yeah. and I would be, it, it's pain. It literally is pain. It's, but it's a ass. weird pain because you can't touch the pain. No, it just you is. You there's just know. You, you just have to sleep. And yeah. if that mom, and again, I'm going to assume this because I like the story better this way. If she does that in a loving, kind way, like, oh, no, no, you're falling asleep. You I'm have to stay you awake. Achieve your I'm goal. helping you. Then he do, he feels supported and loved, yet is like, this blows. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's like, I'm not. So yes. that is like a beautiful integration of, I'm following your lead. Mm -hmm. You're telling me what you want and I'm going to support you versus the cruel, wake up, you said, you know, yeah. there's like such a difference well, in Well, it's tone. so funny because we're so far removed from this, but I just, when our babies were in cribs and they would just, not all of them, but sometimes they would just cry and yeah. that's heart wrenching yeah. as a parent, yeah. especially to moms. Like moms even have like a biological reaction. I would wake sure. up before they'd start crying. No way. Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah. I know. I, yeah. And I would, and I would say, Todd, I can hear so-and-so and he'd be like, I can't at all. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> And then they'd cry. First of all, that's a lie because I, I would barely ever wake up in the first place. <laughs> that's true. I'd be like, how many times did you get up last night? Four. I'm like, oh, I don't remember. I, I, don't, I didn't hear you get up. But yeah, so so there 
is, and I, I'll say parents, I won't just say moms, even though moms tend to have that, especially when they're nursing. But, you know, that is so that, you know, there's infants and then there's the babies who, or the little kids who just kind of want that attention, that going in and out of the room. Yeah. And what you're saying is that that is the way. Yeah. I mean, so, so the question is, okay, so how do you actually help empower the child, right? You want to help the child feel comfortable in the space where they're going to be relaxing and just resting for the night. And so it also comes to kind of like our quest, our understanding of knowledge and just how we think about knowledge. Mm. If we think about knowledge as a fixed amount, a fixed like something that is held by doctors or whatever, there's a sleep expert and that you need to go to them to get that knowledge. Then there's anxiety associated with it, yeah. right? Because like, how do I get to that? I have a three, like there's a three month wait list before I get to see them. Three, if you're lucky, you know, or just some inordinate number of dollars that you're going to end up paying. Right. To somebody who is a sleep expert is going to come and help you. But I think if you flip that and you recognize that knowledge is constantly being created and, dis- and destroyed, especially about our children, right? Because mm-hmm. they're changing. Like yeah. What worked yesterday may not work today. Right. So instead of thinking about like this fixed thing that we're going to do to our child, we start thinking about a process. And mm-hmm. part of that process is we have to generate learning about a certain, a certain question. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes the, like the question the parents are trying to answer is how do I make my child sleep? And so that's that's something you can't generate learning about. You either do it or you don't, and you're di- it's dichotomous. Mm-hmm. And so you want to avoid those dichotomies. You want to think about something that you can actually start to learn about. Mm-hmm. So the key is, okay, how are you learning about helping your child rest? What is it that helps them relax in their in that space? And then I, I think one thing that, that we don't always think about is also like the parents' sense and feeling is, is also really important. Yeah. Because some sometimes like kids, for some reason, sleepwalking and sleep terrors especially mm-hmm. are like this, where like, if there's any level of like excitement or like high emotion in the house, whether it's anxiety, like good or bad, doesn't matter. Um, kids are like antenna for that, especially like two to four years old. Like, yeah. if they'll they'll pop up and have have sleep sleep terrors those times. So like also paying attention to that. All right. So how relaxed is everybody else? Or if I as a parent I'm nervous that my child isn't going to sleep, that kid's not going to sleep. Well, we always talk about is being responsible for the energy you're bringing into a household or into a bedroom. And, you know, for the black and white people say, well, that's ridiculous. This has nothing to do with that. And we believe in energy. And there's an energy that you can't measure. believe in energy. Energy is, is just energy. Well, some people be like, you're crazy. It doesn't matter. I guess. It doesn't matter until you've seen it happen many, many yes. times. Well, <laughs> so, so, doctor, tell us, because we yeah. have adult friends and friends who have children who have night terrors. Will you yeah. explain what that is? So night terrors are kind of in the, a class of, of sleep disorders you call partial arousal. So you're partially awake. Mm-hmm. So part of the brain's awake, part of the brain's asleep. And uh, the part that kind of remembers things and, and controls things is asleep. And then the, the part that is going to walk around the house or do whatever is, is, uh, is awake. Um, so there's a couple of things that can cause that. One is uh, if you have a sleep disorder, if you're kicking your legs in your sleep, if you're snoring, uh, sleep apnea, that sort of thing can wake you up from your sleep and can cause a partial arousal. Usually those are in the beginning of the night, like the first half of the night. Um, but then there's also like there's, there's something kind of more, <laughs> more mystical about it. Because if, ch- if you help a child to fall asleep very kind of relaxed, they're less likely to wake up to a kind of hyperstimulated state of like a sleep terror yelling at the top of your lungs. Um, and then the, the other the other thing is, 
you know, there was there was one child that that started having sleep terrors around the time of the tsunami in in, uh, in Japan. I think it was a couple of years back. Yeah. So, like, she saw it on the news and like was really like really moved by it. But then every night after that had had a sleep terror. Mm. Like, woke up screaming at the top of her lungs. And so we started talking about it. I said, "Well, so it started then. Like, what have what have you done about it?" She's like, what do you mean? I said, like, well, what did you, have you done anything to try and help those people? Or like, is there anything like that you're, like, that you're thinking about? And, she's, and she said, well, let me think about it. So she put together a, uh, a fundraiser, raised money, sent it over there, and her sleep tears went away. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. So it's just this idea that like, you know, sleep, you see these manifestations of kind of like the, like, you know, if, if there is energy around something and it's not flowing, like it often shows up in sleep. Or right? even, even like for insomnia. Yeah. If you, yes. if you can't, if there's something you're struggling with, you're not going to sleep. And so just, it becomes kind of like a, yeah, it, it can tell us, it can tell us that there's something going on with us that we don't, we're not aware of. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, and again, I don't, I don't know as a, as a sleep specialist, do you also have uh, understanding or specialization in dreams do you guys work on dreams with people a little bit not not much okay. like, dreams are, are part of the part of the like we haven't gotten much into the science of dreams got it but um because that's always interesting to me too personally um i feel like my dreams and and sometimes they carry a negative tone and sometimes a positive and i don't necessarily think that means oh negative things are going on but whatever the tone is mm-hmm. of the dream whatever i'm seeing I'm always very hyperconscious or hyper is the wrong word. I'm conscious of what's that telling me? Sure. What did I not work through? Or mm-hmm. I was just telling Todd that um, I was reading this article and it uh, I didn't even really have a conscious thought about this friend. But that night I had a dream that my girlfriend was sick oh. and that I was with her and she was sick. And the next day she posted the same article on Facebook and said, this article is making me sick. Oh, my goodness. So that's something that you can't explain. And yeah. that's not something. And, I, you know, I'm telling this story now. And some people say, oh, that happens to me. And some people say, that's dumb. That's yeah. not true. <laughs> but there is dreams. Or it's a coincidence. Or it's yeah, a coincidence. Right. But even a coincidence is, mm. what's the definition of coincidence? <laughs> fits, Things that coincide, fits, right? fits together. And so to me, the dream was a connection to her that mm. I didn't make literally with a phone call yeah. but i could t- i knew subconsciously that she had read the same thing and it had sickened her yeah. so that i'm just very interested in dreams but like yeah. you i every you know well not like you didn't say this but i pick up dream books or i try and become more of a under you know understand dreams and they're all the same an alligator mm-hmm. means this a snake yeah. <laughs> means this i'm like it can't be that literal right right, right. Well, I, mean, I think there's there's some experience about it my father tells tells my my other family members that i did a fellowship in in dream interpretation um, yeah. And so they they call me with all sorts of crazy dreams. So I don't. I'm sorry. I don't really don't know. Yeah, that's but, an inaccurate description of what right. I no, do. No, that, that wasn't. But it's it. It is a really powerful. Like just. A, I think another indication. There, there, there's something really mystical about sleep. You know, yeah. we don't know why. Like we don't have a solid reason why it is we spend so much of our life sleeping. Like why do dreams happen the way that they that they do? Like what is it that sleep is telling us and showing us? And so I, I we we have three dogs. You you deal with just kids or ch- kids and adults? So my training was like I've 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 taken care of both. Okay, but uh, not right now primarily pediatric. So what is like we're lucky because we had three pretty good sleepers. But what is what does it look like? What does a parent what do they experience in order to come to you saying please help my kid? 
So it comes, there are a lot of different, a lot of different ways that people will come to us. Usually, you know, pediatricians are actually really well versed in dealing with insomnia or, or kids that have trouble falling asleep. They get, you know, there's some, some of my best tips have come from conversations with pediatricians. And so just, just this idea of, of, uh, really relying on the pediatrician and talking with them. And, and if it seems like it's something that's within their realm of, of expertise, then they'll, then they'll handle it. So we get a lot of referrals from pediatricians that are just like, you know, this seems a little bit off. This seems like it's a little bit different than what I'm used to seeing. And so they'll send them to us. Um, and then often also, like the big reason people come and get sleep studies is for sleep apnea. So if a child mm-hmm. is snoring um, or, or stopping breathing in their sleep, then, then they, they'll come to see us. And that's your connection to Dr. Kelly, right? That's Who's right. one yeah. of our partners. So yeah. what do you do with Dr. Kelly? Can you explain that? So it's interesting. Uh, sleep apnea for a long time we thought was just, you know, kids have big tonsils and adenoids, and so they snore, and so you take them out, and then they get better. What we're realizing is that it doesn't always, uh, taking it out, doesn't, taking those out doesn't, doesn't always cure sleep apnea. It's actually just about a quarter of kids that, that get like, a complete cure with that. Um, so we're starting to look at other reasons that kids would have sleep apnea. And so the way that the, the face develops actually has a significant impact on the size of the airway. Mm. So we see kids that have, uh, whether it's like nasal congestion, and so they breathe through their mouth and it changes the way their face, their, their jaws grow. Um, that can be, that can, be uh, they can set them up for sleep apnea as well. And so dentists increasingly are starting to look at things like palatal expansion or uh, non-retractive orthodontics to to treat uh, to treat um, sleep apnea. So. That's our language. Yeah. We just got it. Non-retractive orthodontics. Right. We 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 constantly try and explain because Cameron yeah. and JC are two oldest are with Dr. Kelly doing oh, that good. right okay. now. Yeah. Sure. And so we're always trying to say orthotropics, and it, yeah. it becomes too confusing for the listener. Yeah. Non-retractive orthodontics. Right. That's it. Yeah, I that's think that's about you. four weeks old. <laughs> like just the name of it you totally. know people have been working on it for a long time but we're just starting and really you know at this point we're we're still just we're still just learning about it we don't have a lot of data we don't have a lot of like we have some really like powerful stories yeah um and so we're really excited about that but um really anything that that restricts airflow like from the outside from like the tip of the nose always all the way down to the vocal cords can cause sleep apnea so what is uh, this is an unfair question but i'm going to ask it anyways what is the perfect way to sleep with your mouth closed breathing through your nose i think that'd be i think ideally that's ideal yeah and most like the majority of children will will sleep will breathe through their nose almost exclusively and adults same same principle right doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult sleep through your sleep through your nose uh, breathe through your nose yeah so that's i mean there there are things that happen to air as you breathe it through your nose that's uh that that makes it better for your for your lungs do you sleep through your do you breathe through your nose when you sleep doctor i don't know you gotta ask your wife. Yeah, I you gotta sleep study yourself. That's right. Yeah. But it's weird because I think most of the time I sleep either a combination or through my mouth. But since you know talking to Dr. Kelly and Darius, I try to fall asleep with that intention in mind. The only time you snore is if you have a few beers or more or more. <laughs> then he snores. Oh, it's and weirdest it's just, thing. No, oh, and my breathing common, pattern right? is totally effed up. Totally, your heartbeat yeah. is weird. Yeah, especially if it's Red Bull vodka night. <laughs> Red Bull know, why does he still do that? <laughs> why? I, I'm looking to you like you have an answer. <laughs> Honestly, like Red Bull messes you up. I know, but it doesn't get me hung over the way beer does and some other so, stuff So, But does. it does create heartbeat arrhythmia? Yes. yes. And you're okay with that? Yes. Okay, so I know we're probably time-wise. I have a few up. more questions. I was going to say so do I, That's but true. I have one that kind of goes back to infants that yeah, I know a lot of parents have. Well, no, you actually I didn't ask you yet. Co-sleeping. Yeah. 
What do you say about co-sleeping? So again, like this is something that has to be explored more in okay. terms of the, in the context of the family, you know, because it's it's interesting. I gave a talk about pediatric insomnia to this group of, of adult sleep doctors. And at the end, um, one of the doctors who's uh, um, from India, he, he put his hand up. He's like, you know, like, you realize I've never heard of this. <laughs> this isn't a problem in India because it's done always and like it's and this the idea of like just having problems sleeping <laughs> for kids it's like what do you what are you talking oh, about how does that even make sense and so even like the concept when you take it outside of the construct of, of like kind of Western society um, the idea that that child should sleep alone like in their in their crib whether it's in the, in the parents room or outside of the parents room um, and then you go to a culture where there are no cribs there are no other rooms like everybody sleeps, like you sleep in the same room with everyone else until you get married. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, these are questions that that don't, that don't make sense. I'm not saying that's what happens always in India, but like this idea of like, of like culturally we have expectations of what it is that a child should do. So co-sleeping, like the, like the concerns are all about, it's about sudden infant death syndrome. Right. Like, and so that, like, that's again, like just something that we're so afraid of. It's such like a, like, yeah, of course a dramatic, a dramatic thing. And so, um, what we're starting to think about are what are the other what are the other risk factors, mm. and so like smoke exposure or um, the use of drugs and alcohol or even the bed environment, you know, because in some in some countries you know everyone's sleeping on a mat anyway, yeah. but in our country it's like it's not just a mattress and mattress with a pillow top and a down comforter right. and pillows and pillows and pillows and stuffed animals because that's what babies need for some reason, and so like there are all these other risk factors that we try and limit. But there's no, there's, there are no guarantees. Like we can never say like this is definitely what's happening. So that, that's where like it comes again to like how are we empowering the family? And so like to take it off the table and say you can never do this is actually disempowering. So, but if you say like, okay, so let's think about what are safe ways to do it. Yeah. Because if I say never co-sleep, then I've cut myself off from that family. And if they decide to co-sleep, I can no longer serve that family. And really that's our role as physicians. We're at the serv- it's a service industry. We're at the, f- the service of the patient. Mm-hmm. So the patient has questions about co-sleeping. So let's let's talk about it, yeah. and to open a dialogue and to say these are the risks that are associated. But I mean, my sister, my sister's an OBGYN. She's just like, like this is what I have to do to help my kids sleep, and like I like I'm I'm going to be right there, and like me too. This, this is what we do, you know. I, I slept next to my babies, and I nursed them while I was sleeping, and that's where they were, and and it wasn't. A thought process. It was a instinctual process. Yeah, intuition or instinct. And so that's what. And so for parents who say to me, "It's instinctual that they shouldn't be next to me. I need them in a bassinet," or I believe that just as much. Meaning, who am I to say that my instinct is better than yours? You know, my instinct with my child at this point was this, Mm -hmm. and they're like, "Well, my instinct is I need them here." Hey, you know. So I completely agree with you that that is a family decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Did you have another question or can I go? You can go. Are you going to ask another one after I, this? I I might, but no, because I know it's, we're, it's, you know, we're going long. My dad told me a long time ago. <laughs> oh, oh, it's I don't, a dad question. <laughs> and I don't know if it's, he probably saw it on the Discovery Channel. He said, you can never catch up on sleep. Have That's you heard that? Question. I've heard, yeah, there's, there's like the sleep community still goes back and forth about that. I think you I think you can. So there's uh, like the world record for longest time without sleep was like it was 17 year old. I want to say Randy Gardner. I'm not sure if that's exactly his name, mm-hmm. but he uh, he's he decided he was going to go for the record. And he was very close to uh, where Bill DeMent, who's one of the like the grandfathers of, of sleep medicine, was was practicing. So Bill DeMent went went over and monitored him while he was doing this. And it really took it, it, like 
he ended up catching up on sleep in just a couple of nights. So how many? How long did he stay awake for? I can't remember. I was like, like four days. I, know I should have that. I should have. I, no, it was ridiculous. It was, it was a ridiculous like, length of like time. Weeks. It was. Uh, Give me his name. I'll, would, I'll look him up. Wouldn't you start to hallucinate? I feel like I hallucinate and, after a day and, and a half. Aren't insomniacs? Uh, don't they have? I mean, that's like cheating if you're so, an insomniac. So all, <laughs> <laughs> it's like what if cheating this guy for the record? Yeah. <laughs> so all the all the the. Uh, the like hallucination and like you go crazy when you're when you're when you're sleep uh, deprived yeah is um that's all from there's like a publicity stunt by a dj yeah in, uh in um in new york city who said he was going to broadcast from this glass box in times square for mm-hmm. for however long but like in addition to sleep deprivation he was also like just cranked on meth that throws a different wrench into the that's plan. Where all that got, all that came from. So, so Todd, how many hours a night of sleep do you think you get? I average about six, and that's not a lot, is it? I should probably be a little bit more. I think so. Too. I, I mean, I. My feel is that I personally, and again, I got to say it's personal. I can sit here and say, Todd, that's enough, but I don't know, um, is that for me, I feel like I feel like myself the most when I have eight hours of sleep. My typical is seven, Mm -hmm. to be honest, because sometimes, you know, you get in bed at 10, best, you know, intention, and then you fall asleep at 11. But so is that for, is that, is eight hours pretty typical for adults? So somewhere between seven and nine hours for adults. Okay. The other thing I wanted to kind of mention is like, so all the guidelines for how many hours a child should sleep. Yeah, tell us about that. Are all based on phone survey data of of parents. (laughs) So it's all like, we think think that we know and we think that this is what I have to do. Like I've had parents bring their kid in because they're not sleeping, like whatever that expected amount from the National Sleep Foundation is. And so... um, like then it's just reassurance. It's like, no, your kid looks fine. Your kid is okay. And so that idea of like really just like, again, this becomes something you have to get a sense of. Like, what is it that, when is it that you wake up refreshed? When is it that you're not sleepy during the day? And like, so those are, those are really questions. Again, that's something you can generate knowledge about. And it's interesting how your kids intuitively know, because my youngest, she has two older sisters. And so she's kind of always milling around with them upstairs, even though if she was our only, she'd probably be in bed much earlier. Right. (laughs) But sometimes she's getting, you know, into bed so much later and she wakes up and she struggles. And I said to, this was about a month ago. I said, you know, we could get you in bed at eight before they even get upstairs. And she's like, could you? Oh man. Yeah. She wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times, again, it's like how we frame it for them in that it's like a gift where she's like, could you? And then Todd rubbed her back and it was just this lovely nighttime experience. And so now that's kind of here and there. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't depending on the day, but you know, they want it, you know, they, they want, I think that we crave it, but it's how we frame it. Okay. So bear with me. Randy Gardner. 17-year-old kid from San Diego. He was born in 1947, so whenever this was. Stayed awake for 264.4 hours. Oh, my gosh. That's 11 days and 24 minutes. Uh, Okay, so health effects. Um, Lieutenant Commander John Ross monitored his health, reporting serious cognitive and behavioral changes. These included moodiness, problems with concentration, and short-term memory, paranoia, and hallucinations. On the 11th day, he was... Asked to subtract seven repeatedly, starting with 100, and he stopped at 65. When asked why he stopped, he replied that he had forgotten what he was doing. <laughs> I do that with what a night of sleep. I was going to say, what if he just said, I'm tired? Yeah, that I'm tired. <laughs> His sleep recovery, uh, Gardner slept 14 hours and 40 minutes and awoke naturally at 8.40 p.m. and then stayed awake until about 7.30 the next day, and then he slept an additional 10 and a half hours. And 
He got it. He got his stuff together. He's and right. then he got back to it. And so he's in the book. The brain will end up selectively kind of choosing the sleep stages that it needs to get to get done what it needs to get done. That's awesome. To recover. So. Um, I have a buddy named Zach, and he gets four hours a night of sleep, and he says it doesn't affect him. And even if he had more time to sleep, it wouldn't. Uh, buy, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. He doesn't need it. Do people? Can people? function a hundred percent on four hours of sleep a night i mean there's always there's always a continuum yeah so like some people are going to need more some people need less they did take it they took a, a population of patients that that uh said that same thing where yeah. they say you know i only need five hours i only need four hours and they studied them and it turned out that like a lot like most of them actually needed more mm. but uh you just get to get used to running at a certain level and yeah. then also with just the availability of stimulants like caffeine and yeah like five hour energy all that sort of thing like we artificially. Yeah, you can get away with it. Okay, we're way over time. So, okay. so Doc, yes. um, is there anything else that you want parents to know about their kids' sleep training, sleep ability, sleep whatever? Is there anything that you, you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say? Yeah, this is the first thing. This is the first thing that you're learning about, and then there'll be the next thing. It'll be feeding. Then after feeding, it'll be walking. Yeah. It'll be first day of school. Then it'll be So, I mean, really just to put it in context of like, this isn't a make or break moment. Got this it. is part of an ongoing process of parenting. And like, just like any, any other capacity that you're developing in yourself or in your child, like the, everyone, like everyone on the planet has gone through it. So you just like reach out, mm-hmm. ask, ask your friends. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's something actually we're trying to develop is like, how do we bring groups together to focus on the questions that'll, that will make their experience actually available to others? Um, and what if somebody wanted to, like, you got any books to sell or what's your deal? Well, how can question. we help you? That's a good question. I go back and forth about this because I think really the key is like, how do you like creating spaces where like groups of people that already talk yeah. with each other, have these relationships just to explore sleep together. Okay. And so that like, we have some materials that we're developing. And so, um, you got a website, you got anything? Yeah. It's sleepempowerment.org. Okay. Sleepempowerment.org. Yeah. What if somebody's like, oh, my God, my kid's freaking out. I need a sleep expert. Uh, they just go to the website or you want to give a phone number or I think what? You find, you find the person that's raised the most children <laughs> that I you can it. get your hands on. I love it. I know. Talk to I told you this guy was awesome. I know. But that's like it's really the key because like the number of times it's actually a sleep problem. Like, I mean, it's, it's not it's not every time. Yeah. So like usually like we just need to find sources of sources of knowledge and like with sleep everyone on the planet has experience with sleep yeah, yeah. everybody yeah. has a lot of so. and like you said at the beginning of this interview it's that support system it's that availability to discuss it it's the validation that this is normal and some a process and also the backing up and saying my kid is a unique individual right. and that can i be present for this rather than label it and need to call it a disorder yeah, well, exactly. you know, yeah. So we're gonna close out with a scene from Three Men and a Baby, where <laughs> Ted, Ted Danson and Steve Gutenberg and Tom Selleck are sing to that little baby. Okay. And I don't know. I just always felt like Steve Gutenberg didn't quite belong in that threesome because he couldn't sing. No, I just think that like he can't hold a candle to Ted Danson and Tom Selleck. What about the scary part in this movie? Yeah, you're you're crazy. I'm not. There was a kid standing there in the scene. No, there wasn't. I know, but it was scary. I know. (laughs) Thank you, Doctor. Doc, you're awesome. Happy to have been here. Oh, so helpful. Thank you so much. Three o'clock in the morning, baby. I just can't treat you right. Well, I hate to leave you, baby. I don't mean maybe because I love you so. Bo do 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 do
Good night.